0: They're depriving you of the Buddha's teachings. (laughs) If you do have one of these sheets, it's good to just keep it with you and uh, look at it from time to time. Um, It's a kind of map of of mindfulness of breathing. Like any map, it's um, you have to treat it with care because looking at things on a map is not quite the same as driving there. So you can, you know, with, with a, when you look at a map, you can skip from this place to that place just by moving your fingers and your eyes, and you see so there, 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 and you don't recognise as hills and marshes and swamps and rivers and and uh, breakdowns along the way. <laughs> yeah. And it's important not to to get into that idea of oh we'll get to the next get on get on get to the next bit. This is so, but it gives you an idea of the way that the practice will will tend to flow and things to look out for. And so to start to familiarise yourself with what some of these terms mean, so that if you're practising mindfulness of breathing, which is a very kind of central. Buddhist practice and you're doing this over a number of years then these these kind of stage posts get more clearly registered in your mind you're, oh yeah you know what that's about um it's certainly not something you can just zip through and and yeah uh, generally with these um what are called these um, fourteen. 14 factors or 14 stages that there are... 16, sorry, 16, is how far I've got. <laughs> 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 you you kind of work within... this They have clusters of of the, what I call tetrads, so that there are four groups of four, and you work within the first tetrad... Um, which is the first four um, factors, first four stages. Until you feel until that becomes very clear and very worked out for you. And and you feel very easy with that and fluent with that. And then it will tend to present particular um, angles and facets that then you can focus on that will lead you that will lead you on. Um, so the first tetrad <coughs> concerns this process of settling into the Um, bodily experience. It's associated with the first foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of body. This is the first tetrad, breathe in, long, breathe out, long, short, experiencing the whole body and and then um, tranquilizing the bodily formation. So this deals with uh, the bodily experience of breath and as I've been explaining first of all you know you are actually contemplating the passage of air and then more just that as a reference point that's what we mean by breathing as you come to that then you get more accurate and you recognize it's not really air you're contacting it's it's sensations particularly impressions and then what the mind can pick up out of that. So in that process, we move from an analytical mode of understanding what we're doing to a sensitivity mode, which is receiving and feeling what we're doing. So from an abstract, I'm breathing in and out, to, to a direct, uh, immediate contact impression of, of um, this suffusion of literally an inspiration, like a kind of brightening and uplifting, and then a relaxing. And so those modes become clearly experienced for you. Those those impressions are clearly experienced for you. And this will, this actually, that kind of transference from an analytical to a directly contact impression is a very valuable one because it it takes the mind out of its shell. Um, So when we're analytical, then we're not involved. So, the analytical mode of consciousness is highly regarded for being what they call objective and scientific. As you don't get involved, you step back and look at the thing down the end of a microscope, and it doesn't look at you. You know, it's a one way thing. You're down there, be looked at. And there's no relationship. You can poke it around, whatever, and then, you know, write a paper about it. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, this, this is a pretty dire kind of way to relate to, to things. And certainly if you, if you start to relate to other humans uh, and, um, and yourself in that way, it, it's pretty bleak. Um, so, But to move out of that means we actually have to be a bit more vulnerable or a bit more touchable we're not now looking at things from a distance you're really right up there being felt by this breath, the breath is feeling you, you're feeling the breath you're, you're bonding together um, so so that's very valuable because it does it kind of conduce you to a certain sense of, of, of openness and trust um, uh, defenselessness uh, vulnerability and um, immediacy so it's a place where you get uh, you're know, more spontaneous uh, you're more in the moment you're more present um, and as you when you're settling into the breath and the breath is a totally safe experience so it, you know you, you can actually just open and soften to that and let it let it happen through you it's never going to harm you and so that's very nice because you, some of your some of the, the uh, wariness and the uh, distancing that that we often carry around for, for obvious reasons, that can be relaxed. So there's a certain heart release just in that and just directly being with something, feeling it, flowing with it, not pushing it, not manipulating it, not trying to make it into something, just flowing along with that. This is quite lovely. And that's essential for what will later as this practice develops, then that particular um, aspect of it, what's happening to the mind, you know, that that lightness, then if that is actually recognized, you know, we feel that out, we recognise that quality, and you focus on that, that means focusing, I mean, you know, uh, attuning to it. It's not just like looking at something, but really attuning, attuning your your attitudes to that attuning your, your mode of, of action in the meditation to that, then that gives rise to the experience of rapture, and pity. And rapture is like a, um, something that actually like it possesses you. I mean, that's a powerful word. But it, it means you give yourself to something, and it, it's a suffusive experience. It's an immersion experience, rather than uh, looking at something down the end of a microscope you just, you just jump into it. Um, so this is, a, of course, rapture. Um, is a very powerful experience. Um, it can be a fairly, you know, this isn't sort of, you know, it, it's not necessarily ecstatic. Uh, I've never seen anybody kind of really you know, flip their lid over breathing. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's rather nice, you know. It's a kind of gentle suffusion like a warm bath. Uh, uh, so this is very helpful, really. You know, some of the tenseness and some of the kind of straining to see really is relaxed. So you, you feel flowing along, and then from that, the quality of that pity or um, rapture, if that's if that's properly focused on, so that we don't um, get excited or greedy about it you rest in it, and this leads to what's called sukha, which means um, happiness in the sense of ease, contentment. You know, one, is, one is serene, one is happy. And then the mind, because of that, the mind, you don't have to concentrate because the, you know, the mind is held by that. You're really in it, you're with that. Um, this is the kind of thing that, that can, can happen. So, the, this is how the bodily experience leads to what is, um, a, we could say, a mental um, or an heart experience rapture and, and uh, pleasure. If you notice also the way that it is expressed in the sutta, um, it starts off breathing in long, he understands breathing in long. Breathing in short, he understands breathing in short. So this is a little more um, you know, about recognition. Um, there's a process, one of, the, one of the ways in which sati or mindfulness is described, is it, it's a kind of almost like sort of memory. The word sati is related to memory. It's recollecting. It means, ah, it's that. Hmm, it's that. You understand in that way. It's a very simple kind of understanding. It doesn't go into a, a kind of whole analytical monologue. But there is a, a sense of, I am familiar with that. That, that pattern, that is, is acknowledged. This is, a, this is a long breath. This is the full breath. So when, as one begins to cultivate um, mindfulness of breathing, feel it in the body, first of all, feeling it in the body, going to the bodily experience, and then it's like asking yourself the question: um, how, you know, what is this breath? Then, first of all, you feel it as a series of sensations. Now, is how how big is that? How long is it? Um, now you have, say the form of the breath is um, measured between the end, the end of the exhalation and the end of the inhalation so the end of the exhalation there's that, that, that sensation of the flow of the breath changes into a certain uh, more like a static mode you get the flow and then it, it kind of hardens or it firms up you get to the end of the exhalation so that's that's a full stop, that's a point there. Yeah, so that's, that's one mark. And then you have a flow again, a flow experience, and then you get to the end of the inhalation. And again, you get something like a kind of tightening or firming up. That's the, that's the other mark. So if you, and the, the passage between the two, that's the flow. So you've got something that's got two ends and a, and a connecting thread in between the two that's the length of the breath. So when you're looking at the breath now purely as a form, Mm. it's this long. So recognizing that, fully recognizing that, so that instead of the the mind thinking of other things or trying to experience other things, um, you're like, where is it in my body? these kind of things, or looking forward to other experiences that one could be having, or wondering whether one can do it or not, whatever the way the mind sort of can dither and vacillate and skitter around an experience, just going to the simplicity of, well, whatever it is, there it is. (laughs) You know, it's 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 this long. And so you keep coming back to that again and again and again. So the mind simplifies, it loses its its complexities. Mm. So uh, in this way then the, the breath educates or de educates, if you like, um, deconstructs the mind. And this is say so this is one of its primary uh, functions is to deconstruct the the complexities of the way the mind experiences things. So it's quite simple. Bringing oneself into the present moment, one breath, staying with that. All one needs to be with and know is this breath is now unfolding. Now it's got to the stopping point. It's the end. It's the beginning, and so on. When you're, when that become, when one is familiar with that. so that it's something you can keep going back to and referring to. Then you go to the, the short breath, which is a very short, brief focus, uh, a small focus. And the short breath, once one has established that, that experience of, of fully being with the breath, then it's, it's like holding your attention at, at just at one point and allowing the breath to flow through that, to pass through that. So in this way, your, your focal point then is quite small. If you like, the first experience is, is, is rather one is riding with the breath. You know, so your, your, your attention is moving with the breath from one point to another point. Feeling out that and the second step is when your attention doesn't move with the breath your attention now is a little more um, stabilized it's not thinking and daydreaming whatever so it's able to stand and the attention stands at one point which is right at the present moment so it's a point in time and then the breath is passing by so instead of getting on the train you're standing on the station platform just the carriages flickering past so then you've got a very small point. So that, what that does is it encourages uh, a stability of attention. And, and it be, brings around an intuitive experience of, uh, of attention itself, which is not tethered to an object, but it, so it's not an object, nor is it separate from an object. It's relating to an object. Normally one's attention is, is just a random series of, of objects grabbing it, thoughts, feelings, visual impressions, tactile impressions. It's just like a, a shuttlecock. It just ricochets around depending on you know who's, which bat just last, was the last one that hit it. <laughs> so it goes this way, that way. So first it's like that. So you have to stabilize it. There's only one, one person playing tennis, which is the breath. So with that, and then, then actually, uh, you know, stepping off of that, and just being present in the present moment with the breath passing. At that point, then what what becomes more experienced is the, the the continual as the breath flows through attention, flows through the mind. Then you get this uh, an experience, which is a, a kind of tingling. Or uh, energy, which is where the breath is contacting awareness, where the sensation is striking your awareness, and it's rather like, as uh, you could imagine something, you know, rubbing something else. There's a certain um, tingling or certain energising at that particular point. Whenever your mind comes purely, directly into into one-pointness in the present moment, the experience is vibrant. I think we we kind of have this, perhaps in momentary flashes, when we, you know, for a moment you see something that's very very beautiful, and you're just you're you're held in a state of arrest, um, epiphany, I think they call it. We we just kind of so suddenly it it has a surreal vibrancy, a surreal quality to it, and you feel uplifted. Well, this is um, similar to what happens when you when you bring your attention to one point. Around the breath experience, that kind of quality of, of 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 energy, which is, for want of a better word, is synonymous with the, with the breath, with, the, with the, the breath impression. That is, and um, as you become more familiar with that or feel that out, then then that um, energy. And acquires a suffusive uh, character characteristic. That's what it's a point and just a kind of uh, uh, tingling. And as you contemplate that that breath energy or the energy, then it really isn't it's, as it's only located at a point in time, which is the present moment it's not located in a physical point, it's awareness in the present moment then you can actually uh, extend that. Uh, yes, to to the, to the totality of your experience in the present moment. So in this particular exercise, it's to do with what's called the whole body, which, um, again, doesn't really mean the anatomical body, but the, the, the body consciousness that this is all occurring within, that tactile consciousness, that awareness of your body, um, which is... They, you may have an awareness of a kind of spaciousness or warmth or a certain kind of you know, experience of subtle pressures or flows, but what your body is experienced as directly. and So that uh, energy then can flow around and suffuse that entire experience. So instead of it being a point experience, it becomes a field or a ground experience is the say the, the whole body and then because it's something like then it becomes like a field or a ground in the mind can um, this is called the the kaya sankara um, the bodily formation in other words it's this this uh, sense of vitality uh, this breath vitality, which is, if you like, the vitality of the body. It's the body vitality. Tranquilizing it means steadying. So um, it can be the case when, when one practices anapanasati or meditation, you get these strange body energies um, you know, jumping around, shooting at one side or another. And this is perhaps because one has gone in too quick um, too soon so that the energy is uneven and it, it's, it's too, too violent if it's like that it's no, one shouldn't be alarmed it's, it's, it's not that unusual um, but if it's like that then it's best to go back to a simp- the simple um, bodily experience that is measuring the length of the breath. So you get to something a little more prosaic um, rather than too 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 deep before the mind is capable of channeling that, that energy. So you need a form, which is the, the this sense of a container, which is the length of the breath. So then that that provides a kind of uh, a container, and then the mind is able to. You know, trust and feel okay within that container, and it comes to one point in the present moment. It receives, there's a certain energizing experience in that present moment, and that energizing experience suffuses the body consciousness, and then suffusing it, steadying it, calming it, not getting blown away on it, not getting excited by it. Um, tranquility is uh, something that the path of tranquilizing is learnt through quality of restraint, which is a certain measuredness about the way one enters into things. It's not, uh, you know, fearful or resistant. It's just a sense of taking your time not rushing in, not getting excited, not getting sucked in. It's a kind of measured approach of not gobbling up or rushing into things. Um, And and certainly in a retreat um, then this kind of quality of sangvara or restraint is one of the the, the, um, facets of the retreat that we can benefit from. When there's say 60 or 70 of you it's time for the meal then naturally one has to go and just say yippee and zink in there and wolf it down you know <laughs> you could actually wait stand up and wait form a line and wait some more <laughs> you know and this is good this is because it actually holds you back to just taking it steady There's, you know food's not going to run away and, um, you know, it, it checks that, that it, recklessness of, of, of the mind. Though so this is very helpful, these kind of things. Um, living in a retreat center, being held back. You know. And so, lear- learning that on it emotionally. This is the way you calm by just steadying, taking your time and things. Other signs that give rise to conducive to calm, the the experience of flow and change. So uh, first of all, we begin by recognizing the breath has got a certain on-off rhythm to it. It comes, it goes, it stops, there are pauses. So you, you are aware of the, you know, the, the, the changeability of it in that sense. And then even in the process of a breath, the breath is continual change. It's like a wave that rolls. And it, it has a vigorous quality when it begins to roll in. And then it gradually subsides and relaxes. But As your mind attunes to that, that rhythm that way in which something mounts and swells and then declines. It, your mind also acquires that kind of sensitivity to not just you know, grab the peaks or the troughs, but to flow along and to allow things to, to swell allow things to, de, to, to decline, to allow things to, to firm up and to allow things to empty out. This is conducive to tranquility. Because uh, uh, tranquility is the experience of of stability of, uh, over a whole process, over a whole field of change, whereas uh, excitement is about focusing on one particular facet, the aroused facet, the you know the, the 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 peak moments. So it's important to move from any kind of peak. You know when you get to a like a one-pointedness to to recognize that one-pointedness, the peak of it, but then to see it within a context of change. So this gives you more the the dispassion that leads to tranquility. Particularly if you begin to experience things, rapture, joyfulness, which is a a wholesome um, experience, and you can experience this in many ways, the sensual rapture, which is to do with sense contact, Beautiful things, tasty things, lovely things that we hear—we're carried away by beautiful music uh, or things like that. When y- y- this is what rapture is—it's like that. Um, but then, nonsense, your rapture for for a for the path of meditation is to do. It comes around through the skillful work of the mind. The mind has shaken off. Some of its dross, some of its kind of gunge has slipped away through, through being exercised, so the mind actually is is brighter and perkier and crisper. So then there's this gladness, just about because the mind is cleaner and sharper. It's like you feel fit. So there's that, just as when one has exercised the body, you have a kind of bodily uh, feeling of rapture. Um, that experience, the body feels toned up and vitalized. Similarly, when the mind is properly exercised, the mind experiences a sense of, of rapture. So it's like that. There's also the rapture that comes from inspiration, the faith. So you get devotional rapture, which is like um, when one is inspired, um, delighted, infused uh, by um, teachings uh, and by inspiring people, um, that then you can get this kind of this is more experience on the emotional level. When we um, look at the teaching of the Buddha, then he, he didn't really think much of sensual rapture. He thought this was something that was could be a distraction. Um, and you notice the Buddha played a pretty pretty cool act with regards to um, devotional rapture. He was pretty sort of you know straight and it didn't really encourage a lot of that. Um, it, some, enough sometimes to get people to get people um, inspired, sort of like recollections of the Buddha, but then he made it very clear, you're talking you're recollecting now, you're recollecting qualities of awakeness. you not it's not this isn't me. This is the qualities of awakeness, so keep it there um, in, in the mind so that, that there isn't that um, transference to a particular object. Know the gladness of inspiration in your own heart, as your own heart's delight, rather than some person or somebody out there. But that has also to be tempered. There's a saying um, when uh, with one of his great, really great supporters, Visaka, uh, who is a uh, the, the matriarch of Savati, who is an extremely uh, grand-hearted being, and she is a very loving kind of person, and so she has something like 120 grandchildren, all of whom she adored, (laughs) and uh, so she had this kind of great heart, and then one time she asked the Buddha, I'd like to be able to offer things that every monk and every nun who comes into Sarvati, I want to offer them robes I want to offer them gruel in the mornings I want to offer them any medicines they require, you know, this is what I want to do and the Buddha said okay, well, why, why do you want to do that? so he, he was kind of checking that she wasn't just sort of on some you know, blown away on some devotional high and she said well when I do this then it brings up the enlightenment faculties in my mind my mind is delighted, therefore I am calm, therefore I am tranquil. So you say, well, that's fine. In other words, if you experience that, that that devotional, that inspirational quality, this is all well and good, but really turning it towards, does this stimulate investigation? Does this stimulate mindfulness? Does this stimulate arousal of energy into one's mind and body? Then this this is very good, rather than just kind of bliss out on it. I think it's extremely unlikely that you will bliss out. (laughs) This is uh, this is Theravada Buddhism. (laughs) But just in case, you know, there are (laughs) takes all kinds to make a world. (laughs) So be on your guard, just in case this happens. So the, the more <coughs> beneficial kind of rapture is actually comes purely from work of the mind, from the craft of the mind, from the skill of the mind, from the mind taking an object, from giving itself an object, from this kind of sense of willing and, and, and interest in an object. Uh, so that, you know, then, and the cleaning the mind from the, the five hindrances... So, you know, the dullness, the lethargy, the crankiness, the sullenness, the. <laughs> I don't want to bother, kind of. <laughs> all the franticness, you know. So, the, the, it's the skillful work of doing that. And, and this. Um, so, of course, the clearing the mind of the five hindrances is a, a major topic for a meditator. Um, we can look at it first in a very simple way. You know, the primary way is. Just putting it aside, putting aside other concerns, putting aside other thoughts and ruminations, and just giving yourself completely to the breath, and that will that will unloosen some of the handholds that the hindrances have. They'll they'll come back. They've got they're pretty <laughs> cunning, but um, you know you can get this kind of break from them, and then the mind does feel quite joyful. Every point in this, so if you look at this the one feels there's a reason why the Buddha did talk about the Anapanasati in, in these sixteen ways, you feel that you know he, there was a particular purpose for it. They do seem to represent certain ways in which one's attention is is shifted, is tweaked, is is channelled. Um, um, and and so bearing that in mind as keeping these these things in mind, the uh, meditation on the bodily experience, clearly recognizing it, staying with that recognition in bodily in the bodily sense. And with any of these pointers, which I've briefly touched on and the first four especially um, then re- you know recognizing what what one what at this particular time one should attend to so attending to establishing connecting to recognizing a familiar breath pattern and then knowing that one has established it one has that is clear for you and then having done so, like enjoying it so rather than now the next thing just to be able to rest in that so that the effects of that particular um, stage are fully absorbed you know, so one should recognise what, what, one, what one was aiming at if you like what one is inclining towards the work of doing it and then the result of having done so and particularly you know, that last point to, to to not rush on, but to make that experience something that is you you've fully recognized, you're with it, and your attitudes and your drives have caught up with that. So you've eaten the meal and now you're savoring it. You're letting it letting the nourishment go into your system. If you do that, then the next stage. Kind of begins to come towards you. you know, it's that process of having fully um, assimilated the last step that, in a way, introduces you to the next step. And this is the way it should be, rather than you know going back to thinking again. Oh, what do I do now? Which is, in a way, as a kind of you step out of the process to think about it. Um, well, it should should be like this that one goes along, and as you're in that, in a certain direction, a certain becomes clear. Yeah, a certain kind of possibility becomes clear, and then you, you head for that, bearing this in mind, so you know what signs to look out for. The mind now is with the breath; it has settled into the breath; it does trust the breath; it has given itself to the breath. And now, what if at this point I step back and let the breath pass through me rather than me following it. If you like. so what if I just stand on one point now? This weight here. Can I trust the breath to come this way? This is, you say, the short breath. And as one finds that kind of sense of precision and one-pointedness and the, the, ki- the kind of um, energy or vitality that... that um, the mind acquires what if this were as that becomes clear for you fully recognizing and being with that what if this were spread what if this were allowed to suffuse this whole body there's a suggestion like that to let it, let it expand within the whole body and if you notice um, the way it's expressed again He understands, which is, uh, I think it's pajanati, which is more a a noetic experience. That's something one one recognizes. That's what you do with the long and the short. And then after that, he trains. This is slightly different, isn't it? Now you're not understanding so much. It's not like um, applying yourself to to an idea. Now you're crafting, training, the, the, the mind to fully um, experience the whole body. The word is used is patti vedi and vedi is to do with sensitivity. Vedana is is, is feeling so a thorough patti and sang are both um, kind of affirmative Suffixes, they they, they they strengthen the meant of it. So really what it means is thoroughly, completely feeling. Thoroughly and completely sensitizing to. And that's different from understanding, isn't it? So you see what's occurred. The mind has changed from being something that, that forms uh, perceptual or conceptual models to something that's now actually just immersed into that experience and is now swimming in it it's it's gliding it's floating in it it's thoroughly immersed in that experience so and then quite naturally from that stabilizing oneself within that so that the this 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 vitality the kaya sankara is calmed and steadied and so again it, it becomes softer and the mind will then enter deep more deeply just so as when the water is calmer, one can, one can go into it more deeply than when it's churning. And so this is where you get the, the experience then comes up of a rapture, which is like a being taken by the breath, being lifted up by it. So this is the, the most conducive kind of, of, of rapture because it's purely derived internally from skillful work of mind from liberating the mind from doubt, worry resistance fear, tension thrusting, drivingness okay so that's probably enough for the first ten years <laughs> back tomorrow <clears throat> just sit for the next 15 minutes if you need to stretch your legs please do